Chapter 23. We're going to start with the third town meeting. After the rampage in the plaza, the three town leaders went up to the tower room for an urgent meeting. They flopped into their chairs and sat without speaking for a few moments, staring down at the mess below. What do we do now? said Wilmer. Ben curled both hands into fists and set them on the table in front of him. The cave people, he said, they must leave. Leave, said Mary. Leave, said Ben. They must go away from here. But they haven't been here six months yet, said Wilmer. They must go now, said Ben. It's better for them anyhow. To leave before winter really sets in. They won't want to leave, said Wilmer, tugging anxiously at a strand of his hair. I think they understand now that there's nowhere for them to go. They must go, said Ben. We can never feel safe while they are here. If they refuse to go, we will force them to. We have the means to do it. There was a long silence. Ben and Mary glared at each other. Wilmer's eyes darted anxiously between them. At last, Mary set the palms of her hand on the table and took a long breath. You are speaking of the weapon, she said. That's right, said Ben. We have it for situations of dire emergency. I think we have an emergency now. We've never used it before, said Wilmer. We don't even know how to work it. I think it is unwise to use it, said Mary. We have always tried our best not to repeat the mistakes of our ancestors. Using the weapon would be the first step down that path that they took. We may not actually have to use the weapon, said Ben. All we have to do is threaten them with it. Just the sight of it will make them do what we say. That is leave. What are you proposing, said Mary, is sending 400 people to their deaths. Not necessarily, said Ben. The village of Sparks started with almost nothing. Why shouldn't they? It's not true that we started with nothing. The founders of Sparks came from the old cities and truck loaded with enough food and supplies to keep them going for months. These people have nothing at all. We will send a truck with them then, said Ben, with barrels of water, some food, and some basic supplies. That would last them about a week, said Mary. Besides, they have no skills. They haven't had time to learn them. Ben sighed impatiently. Are we supposed to subject our own people to hardship and danger because of a bunch of refugees from a cave? Isn't it our job to protect our own people? But if we rebel against this order, but if they rebel against this order, said Wilmer, then what? I thought I made the, this, that clear, said Ben. We'll use for force. It's our only option. He pondered for a moment, frowning in the air above Wilmer's head. We'll put the weapon on a truck and take it to the hotel. If they put up any resistance, it'll be right there, ready to use. He thumped his fist on the table. I say we give them a day to prepare. The day after tomorrow, they will leave Sparks, all of them, for good. Shall we vote on it? They nodded. I vote yes, said Ben. They must leave. I vote no, said Mary. Wilmer stared down at his hands. He swallowed. He took a shaky breath. I, he said, I vote, I vote yes. So it was decided they would make the announcement that very night, calling the people of Ember together after they were through with work and before they were back to the hotel. Ben would be the one to tell them. He would make it clear that the decision was final. The announcement shocked the people of Ember. That evening, they swarmed through the halls of the Pioneer Hotel in an uproar. People wept and shouted and moaned. In the lobby, Dune encountered a group of people embroiled in a huge argument. It's the fault of that Hassler boy, shouted someone. He's the one who started the riot. He was egging people on. No, he stood up for us. He gave them what they deserved, cried someone else. He's a troublemaker. He's a hero. 
Dune started up the stairs. Halfway up, he passed Lizzie. Her face was flushed with excitement. She grabbed his arm. He won't let them kick us out, she said. Will he? Will who, said Dune. Tick, I'm sure he'll save us. He's so brave, isn't he? He'll make them change their minds. She hurried on down the stairs. It was many hours before the people went to sleep that night. The noise in the hallways went on and on as someone had people wailed that they were all going to die and others vowed to fight, and others gathered up their belongings and stuffed them in a sack. Sadge was so frightened by what was happening that he curled up in the corner with a blanket over his head. But Dune and his father and Edward Pocket sat talking for a long time. I don't see how we could make a town from nothing out in the empty land, said Dune. I don't believe they ever thought we could. We'd starve trying to do it. We can't go. They can't make us. His father, who sat leaning against the wall with his knees up, shook his head sadly. I don't know, he said. This weapon they have. They could use that and force us out. But what could it be, Dune said. Just one weapon? I don't understand it. To be effective, said Edward Pocket in the most learned tone, a weapon must come in contact with the person or persons it's used against. The question is, how can one weapon be effective against 400 people? My guess is that it's something very large that could be made to fall, us, fall on us and crush us. But where could they hide it if it's that large? asked Dune. It would have to be as big as a mountain. It could be an animal, said Dune's father. They might have it in a cage in the basement of the town hall. Something very fierce that they let loose on us. Or it might be something like the poison oak, only worse, said Dune. Some sort of poison that they could spray at us. His father nodded thoughtfully. Yes, he said, that could be. But father, said Dune, we have to fight them, don't you think? No matter what this weapon is, we can't just leave. It's so unfair. Edward Parkett, who had been sitting cross-legged on the floor, scrambled to his feet. He clenched both fists and raised them as if he was ready to pound someone. I'm not leaving, he shouted. Let them try and make me. I'll chain my leg to the big old tree. From under his blanket, Sage moaned. Besides, Edward went on, I have work to do here. They need me. They need all of us. He sat down again. Probably tomorrow they'll change their minds. I don't think so, said Dune's father. That bend sounded serious. So what do we do then, father? asked Dune. We fight, don't we? Dune's father sighed. He stretched his long legs out in front of him and stared down at his knees. Think about it, what it would mean to fight, he said. Say we barricade ourselves in this hotel and refuse to leave. They come at us with their weapon, whatever it is. Some of us are hurt, some die. We go out to meet them with whatever weapons we can find, sticks, maybe, or broken pieces of glass. We battle each other. He ran his hands across his head, sighed again. Maybe they set fire to the hotel. Maybe we march into the village and steal food from them, and they come after us and beat us. We beat them back. In the end, maybe we damage them so badly that they're too weak to make us leave. What do we have? Friends and neighbors and family dead? A place half destroyed and those left in it full of hatred for us? And we ourselves will have to live with the memory of the terrible things we've done. Dune pictured all of this as his father spoke. He hadn't really imagined before what fighting would be like. But still, he said, at least some of us would be would survive and have a place to live. If we go out into the empty lands, we'll all die. His father just shook his head. I don't know, Dune. I have to admit, I just don't know what we should do. I know what I'm going to do, said Edward Pocket. What? asked Dune. Go to bed, said Edward. 
He stamped over to his closet and crawled in. Wake me up, he said, when you've got it all figured out. An hour or so later, the noise of marching sounded in the hallway and the thump-thump of knocks on the door, one after the other. Tick's voice rang out. Calling all fighters, he shouted, all fighters, all those who refuse to be banished, meet at the head of the road. We must make our plan. The footsteps passed, and June heard the same message repeated further down the hall, and again further yet. He put clothes and shoes back on. In spite of what his father said, he still didn't think the people of Ember should agree to go quietly and out into the wilderness. Somehow they must resist, and Tick was the only one with a plan. The hall was full of people, a few of them murmuring quietly to each other, most of them silent. All were heading for the stairs. Outside, the night was warm, but a restless wind stirred in the trees, and scraps of clouds flew across the stars. With the others, Dune headed for the meeting place. Tick stood in a patch of moonlight, the dense shrubbery behind him. When people had gathered around, he held up his rod, and all the whispering died. Listen carefully, Tick said. He spoke in a level voice. Not loudly, but every word was sharp and clear. The day we've been ordered to leave, the day after tomorrow, we will assemble at dawn, at the front of the hotel. Have your weapons right with you. There are still many people who haven't made up their minds to fight, and a few who are ready to go meekly into the empty lands following orders. We want to change their minds. Flash your weapons. Shout our battle cry. We will not go. Remind them of the black words of the hatred scrawled in mud on the plaza, and on the walls of our hotel, and the poison leaves on the doorstep. We will make these cowards ashamed of their weakness. We will make them understand that obedience to evil commands is a disgrace. Most of them, maybe all of them, will join us. And once they have, we will march into the village, loud and defiant and strong. And in the plaza, we will confront the town leaders and make our demands. A few people raised their fists and shouted approval. What are our demands? Dune asked. He was standing at the front of the crowd, just a few feet from Tick. The, they are these, said Tick. We demand to be f made full citizens of this town, not cast down into the wilderness. We demand to be properly fed. We demand decent places to stay. We demand the end of to unfair rules and insults. These seemed reasonable things to ask for, June thought. And if they refuse to agree to our demands, he asked, well, then, of course, we fight. But they have this terrible weapon they talk about, said Dune. What about it? Others echoed his question. Yeah, what about it? Tick smiled. His teeth showed white in the moonlight. They have one weapon, he said. We have many, and each weapon in the right hands is in the engine of the power. His voice grew louder. We will attack them, he cried, like this. He raised his steel rod and brought in a slashing down through the air, whistled around it. The end cut into the ground. He raised it again and whipped it back and forth, striking tree trunks so hard it gashed the bark. He whirled around and battered the bushes behind them. You cannot defeat us, he cried at an imaginary enemy. Right is on our side. We will have your blood. We will break your bones. He went into a frenzy of stabbing and slicing and thrashing wild among the bushes. Leaves flew, twigs snapped. Something fluttered and fell. June saw it. So did Tick. He stopped for a moment and glanced down. At his feet was a half-grown baby bird that must have been huddled deep within the bushes. It flopped onto its side, its beak gaping. You see, Tick cried. 
The enemy falls at my feet, he raised his rod. With one blow, I... June stepped forward and grabbed Tick's arm. Don't, he said. Tick tried to pull away, and then he relaxed and lowered the weapon. He grinned. Okay, he said. I think it's dead anyhow. He stuck the toe of his shoe beneath the bird and flipped it away in the grass. But you get the idea, he said, turning back to his warriors. Imagine hundreds of us doing that. We'll be unbeatable. His face was alight with glee. And that was when Dune's vague, uneasy feeling came together in one clear understanding. Tick wants war. The thought of war excites him and makes him happy. But not me. The thought of war makes me sick. Dune's way parted from Tick's that night. He walked back to the hotel and up the stairs slowly, his heart heavy. He still didn't know what he was going to do that day after tomorrow, and all he knew was that he did not want Tick for his commander. He would command himself. Chapter 24. What Torn Planned Torn heard the news from old Sal Ramirez, who came in the evening to have the doctor look at his infected eye. They've been ordered out, said Sal, as Dr. Hester stood over him, pulling his eyelid down. The cave people, they have to leave. Day after tomorrow. That can't be true, said the doctor. She dipped a spoon into the small glass jar full of clear liquid. Tip your head back, she said. She dropped, dripped drops into Sal's eye. It is true, said Sal. Ben told him to go. But how can they, said the doctor. There's no place for them to go. Some of them refused, said Sal. They said that they'd fight. He wiped his eyes. Ben said he'd bring out the weapon if they did. The weapon? The doctor set the jar down on the table and stared at Sal. Has Ben gone out of his mind? Don't know, said Sal. Torn listened from his place on the window seat, shivering with excitement. There was going to be a war right here in Sparks, and the terrible weapon would be used at last on the cave people. He'd always wanted to know what it was. Now he'd find out. Sal left with bad bandage pressed to his eye. The doctor sat down at the table and stared out the window and the flame-colored streaks in the western sky. How have we come to this, she said, but she didn't seem to be asking Torrin. The look on her face caused a little fear to mix with Torrin's excitement. He didn't want to be in the war. He thought he could get hurt. The weapon might actually get him instead of the cave people. He just wanted to see the war, not fight in it. Where will the war be? He asked the doctor. What? She asked him as if she'd forgotten he was there. The war, he said. The day after tomorrow. Where will it be? You're talking nonsense, said the doctor. If there's a war, it'll be everywhere. She stood up slowly, hoisting herself with an arm on the table. Her face looked heavy and she shuffled to her room without saying goodnight. Torrin went to bed and laid there a long time with his mind racing. He decided he would get up before anyone else that day, the day after tomorrow. The day of the war would begin. He would get dressed. He would take a hunk of cornbread from the kitchen and put it in his pocket. He'd take a knife, too, in case the war came close to him. Then he would go down to the plaza and climb to the top of the big pine tree, so the high up that he would be hidden from below, but from where he could watch everything going on. All right, chapter 25. Dread at the last minute. As Pelton's truck drew near the village of Sparks, Lena was about was more and more impatient. She longed to see Poppy and Mrs. Murdo and Dune. Another's day travel, Pelton said, will be in Sparks by tomorrow morning. Lena was too excited to sleep much that night. 
Her mind galloped forward to the people who she would see tomorrow and backwards to everything she'd seen on her journey. She finally fell asleep a few hours before morning, and when she awoke, she could feel immediately that something in the air had changed. A wind had arisen, warm, gusty wind that bent the brown grasses and rattled in the leaves of the trees. The blue of the sky had faded to, had faded to a hazy gray, and the heat seemed more fierce than ever. She felt something unsettling in the air, a warning, like the first traces of fever when the illness came on. Could be nearly a hundred degrees today, said Pelton, but in a week or two the heat will start to slack off. The season's changing. You can feel it in the wind. They started out early. After only an hour or so, Lena could see the fields and buildings with sparks in the distance. She stood up. She was sitting on the front seat of the truck between Maddie and Pelton and shielded her eyes with her hand to see better. There it was, and now it looked like home to her. The solid little brown houses, the tidy fields around them. When they came to the road that led to the Pioneer Hotel, Lena had a sudden idea. Let me off here, she said. I want to tell Dune I'm back. I'll walk the rest of the way. She thanked Pelton for all his help, and he thanked her in return. Take a few of the things you found, he said. Whatever you like. She rummaged through the crate until she found the magnifying glass, the magnet, and the little red truck, and she tucked these in her pack. I'll go down, I'll go into town and help Pelton with the trading, Maddie said to Lena. I'll meet you later at the doctor's house. Lena jumped down from the truck, her legs strong and springy, her hair flying in the wind. She ran up the road towards the hotel. She expected to see people at the river washing and people sitting on the hotel steps, eating their breakfast, getting ready for work. But the ground of the hotel was empty, and when she went inside, she found people milling about the lobby in confusion. Some of them were crying. She saw the two Hoover sisters, one wailing and the other trying to comfort her, and then old Nanny Prog sitting on a rolled-up blanket grumbling to herself. People were arguing with each other. She heard angry voices and questioning voices and voices full of fear. For a second, she just stood looking, wondering what had happened. Then someone spotted her. Lena, her name rang out over the hubbub. Faces toward, turned toward her, and people rushed up to her and crowded around her. You're back. Where have you been? We thought you disappeared for, forever. She saw Clary's face smiling, and she heard the voices of the friends from school and Captain Fleury of the Ember Messengers, and someone who used to work in the shoe store. Are you all right, they said. What a time to come back. Why did you leave? Where have you been? Hands reached for her, arms wrapped her in a hug. She saw a redhead bouncing up and down as Lizzie jumped in the air trying to see over the crowd, and she saw Mrs. Polster beaming at her and Miss Thorne at her side. I'm fine, I'm fine, she said. I'm so happy to be back. But what's going on here? Where's Dune? I'm here, it was Dune's voice. There he was, just coming down the stairs. She broke away from the welcoming crowd and ran to him. He didn't speak, just reached out an arm and grabbed her hand. The look on her face startled her. Was he angry? Come outside, he said. She followed him down the passage and out the door into the back of the hotel. There was a small concrete terrace bordered by low walls. Behind the wall, the drooping branches of a dusty tree stirred in the wind. Dune sat down on the wall and pulled her down next to him. For a moment, he said nothing. When he spoke, his voice came out in a rough shout. Where have you been? He said. Don't you know how everyone was worried about you? Don't you know everyone has thought that you were dead? Lena shrank back. I didn't mean to be gone so long, he said. It was a mistake. I thought, nearly a month you've been gone, Dune said. It was because of the city, Dune. I thought the city would be like those in the drawings I made. I thought maybe we could go there and all of us live there and be happy, she finished weakly. 
You could have told me you were going, June said. I might have wanted to go, too. Did you think of that? I didn't really think at all, Lena said. I just saw the chance and went. But if I thought about it, she frowned, remembering, I probably would have figured you wouldn't want to come because you were too busy with that tick. June's face fell. Oh, he said. Well, you're right. I, I guess I was. I thought tick might be... June stopped looking for me. I'm sorry, he said. I'm sorry, too, said Lena. They were silent for a moment, and then Lena said, Shall we forgive each other? All right, said June. He smiled. Lena smiled back. What's going on here, she asked. Why is everyone upset? They've ordered us out, Lena. They've told us we have to leave tomorrow morning. What? Lena could not take this in. Who has to leave? All of us. All the people of Ember. And go where? Out into the empty lands. We have to make a new life for ourselves, they said. On our own. Lena's mouth dropped open. A wild confusion filled her mind. But how can we? What would we eat? Where would we live? Again, the frightening picture rose in her mind. The people of Ember scattered like fallen birds across a vast, dry landscape. There are wolves out there, she said, and bandits. I know, said Dune, and if it will, and it will be winter soon. Have you heard of winter? Lena shook her head. When Dune explained her, her eyes widened in shock. All this time they, you've been gone, Lena, they've done terrible things to us. The first thing was that boy Torn. He told her about the smashed tomatoes that Torn blamed on him. He said he saw you, Lena said outraged. Why would he do that? Dune shrugged. Ask him, I don't know. He went on to tell what else had happened, and they'd thrown us out of their homes. They've written hateful words on our walls. They've poisoned us with leaves. But why? What did we do to them, Lena said. The wind blew her hair forward over her shoulders. She clutched a handful of tangled strands to hold them still. We ate their food, said Dune. That was the main thing, but other things happened too. He told her about the ride in the plaza and about what happened at the fountain. Now, he said, they've threatened to use the weapon on us if we don't leave. So Tick says we'll use our weapons on them. Our weapons? What weapons? Dune sighed for the first time. Lena noticed how thin he was. She saw the shadows beneath his eyes. There's so much to tell you, Dune said, and we only have today. But I haven't even been home, Lena said. I have to see Poppy and Mrs. Murdo. Are you still at the doctor's? Are they still at the doctor's? Is Poppy all right? A scattering of dry leaves blew against her leg. The wind whipped her hair so the whole world had changed suddenly just in the last hour. Her throat tightened and she felt tears threatening. Yes, they're still at the doctor's, Dune said. Come on, I'll go walk you. We'll talk, we'll talk there. Wait, said Luna. Lena, I brought you a present. Present. Two presents. She rolled and rolled her pack. She carried all the way from the city, took out the magnet and the magnifying glass, and handed them to Dune. This one's a magnet, she said. If you put it against metal, it sticks there. I guess it isn't very useful, but it's interesting. The other one is for making things look bigger. I mean, making them look bigger. Thanks, said Dune. He examined his presents curiously. He held up the glass and peered through it and back at the hotel. Look at something small, like a leaf or a bug. Dune rifled among the leaves on the ground and found an ant, which he set on his palm of his hand and holding the glass above at the ant, he looked through it. Oh, he said, look, you can see its knee joints. And even... He trailed off, absorbed in looking. Then he raised his eyes to Lena. It's like a miracle, he said. He blew the ant from his palm and looked around until he found a beetle. Look at this, he cried. You can see it chewing. He tried a feather and a bit of moth wing and a blade of grass. This is such an amazing world, he said finally, putting the glass and magnet in his pocket. I love it, except for the troubles with people. Lena and Dune went through the village and ended up 
and up the road to the doctor's house. It was still early morning when they got there. When they came through the door, they saw everyone at the table eating breakfast. Mrs. Murdo was facing the door. She saw them first. She stood up, her spoon still in her hand. She stared for a second, her eyes round, her mouth open, words trying to come out. Then she rushed towards Lena and wrapped her in a hug. At the same time, Poppy jumped down from the bench, dashed towards Lena, and hugged her knees. The doctor stood up and watched the reunion wide-eyed. Torn leaped up, too, but not to hug Lena. He ran out to the door and looked. Um, he ran to the door and looked out, and then he cried, Where's Caspar? Isn't he here, too? Where is he? But no one paid attention to him. They were too busy fussing over Lena, asking questions. Where have you been? Are you all right? Why didn't you tell us? Do you know what's happening here? Poppy just yelled, Weena, Weena, pick me up, pick me up. And the doctor thrown into a state of even more confusion than usual and murmured, Some tea? Or, let's see, why don't we all... So glad and around the edges was torn, pulling at Lena's sleeve. But why isn't he here? Where is he? When is he coming? When things calmed down a little, Lena said, Maddie's still, Maddie will be coming soon. She stayed in town to help the Romer for a while. Mrs. Murdo stopped smiling and grew stern. Lena, how could you go off like that and not talk to me first? And just leave that careless little note, which was not, I would point out, true. Three days, you said. It's been 28. There was a thoughtless, foolish thing for you to do. I know. I really, really am sorry. I didn't know I'd be gone so long. She explained how when she overheard Caspar, she thought he said a day's journey, when really he said five days' journey. And then he said other things happened, and it took a long time. Yes, said Mrs. Murdo, and we have a long, long time to worry about you. She picked up Lena's pack, which Lena had dropped on the floor, and set it on the window seat. And you know what's happened here. You know that we've been ordered to leave tomorrow. I know, Lena said, but I can't believe it. Is it true? It, it's true, said Mrs. Murdo, and it doesn't please me one bit. Lena and Dune sat down at the table where the others had been eating raspberries and cream. Though Lena was thoroughly sick of traveler's cake, that's all the real food she could have, she should have looked good to her. <clears throat> she had no appetite. Her stomach was in a knot. I can't eat. I'm not hungry. I have to do... Dune and I have to talk. At least take an apple, said Mrs. Murdo. First of the season, the doctor added, from up north. Lena took the hard red fruit. She and Dune went outside. The heat was baking now. They went through the courtyard where the doctor's planted pots were mostly empty, the plants having either been put into the ground or died. The ones that struggled in the heat were limp or brown. They crossed the road and walked down the river bank. They sat on the ground. Lena said, It would take me hours to tell you everything I've seen, but listen, this is the main thing. People had a beautiful city and they wrecked it. On purpose, said Dune? Yes, with wars, with fighting. It was horrible, Dune. She shuddered, remembering. The war, it sort of whispered to me. There was a moment when I could hear screams. I could see flames. And there's nothing left? Almost nothing. <clears throat> and all across the empty lands are their houses? Some, but they're old and falling down, mostly in fields and fields of brown grass. There's howling animals. If we had to go out there and try to live, well, we couldn't. That's why some people, a lot of people, want to fight. Dune told about Tick and his weapons, and he and the warriors had gathered. He explained the plan, that they'd go into the village tomorrow, refusing to leave. And he told about the terrible weapon the town leaders had. Yes, I've heard about the weapon. Torin mentioned it one time, too. But what is it? 
we don't know, said Dune. It's from the old times. Doesn't it so terrible that Tick's little weapons would be like twigs against it? The old weapons could burn whole cities. She clasped her arms around her stomach. Everything inside of her felt cramped, knotted up. Her hands were stripped with sweat. There can't be a war. But we can't leave either, said Dune. They sat, watching the water struggle along the between the rocks. Don't you think, said Dune, that fighting would be better than just giving in? At least we're doing something? I don't know, said Lena. It scares me. She ran her finger over the glossy red skin of the apple. I talked a lot to Maddie on my journey. She's wise, Dune. She told me how war got started. It was when people say... You hurt me and I'll hurt you back. But that's just how we the that's but that's just how people are, said Dune. Of course when people hurt you you want to get back at them. And then they want to get back at you, and then it just goes back and forth. It goes on and on unless someone stops it. Stop it how? You have to catch it soon, Maddie said. As soon as you see it starting, you have to stop it. Otherwise it'll be too late. You have to reverse the direction. That's what Maddie told me. She said that if someone had to be brave enough the wars might not have ever started in the first place. But Lena, Dune slapped his hand down on the ground. What does that mean? How do you do it? Lena wasn't entirely clear about it. She took a bite of her apple. It looked as hard as a polished stone, but the juice burst into her mouth was sweet. I think it's this, she said. Instead of getting back at the other side with something that's just as bad that you do, you do something good, or at least you keep yourself from doing something bad. She took another bite of the apple. I think that's it. One bad thing after another leads to worse things. So you gotta do something good. June sighed. That's not very helpful. How are we supposed to do something good for these people who have done nothing but bad things? Why would we even want to? Well, that's it, said Lena, wiping the juice off from her chin. You don't want to, but you do anyway. That's what makes it hard. Maddie said it's very hard. It's much harder to be good than bad. (laughs) 